So this was his opening act, so to speak. Now for a little bit of time, he'd been traveling in the countryside to small towns, doing some pretty amazing things, and he's starting to gather and build a following of people. Now, he was like what many people were in first century Palestine, constantly struggling against a downward pressure, always teetering, constantly teetering on, on poverty, destitution, or indentured servitude. But this guy was a little bit different. Sure, the, 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 the crowd that day was quite familiar with their ancient scriptures. They knew the stories of God saying and doing and sending prophets who would, who would teach and who would heal. But there was something about this guy. And, and, and what was it? Quite, there was something about him that was so familiar and yet at the same time was very, very different from anything that ever encountered, seen, or heard. So on this particular day, as a, a crowd of, of, of curious and desperate onlookers start to gather, Jesus climbs a hillside and he sits down and begins to talk. And now he's known this moment was coming. He planned for it and he's been waiting for it. And he's about to reveal something to his audience, to this group of curious onlookers this day that's going to challenge and blow their minds and encourage them in a way that they have never related to or connected to God himself before. So what's his premise as his teaching begins? And it's this, your prayer is essential. Your prayer is essential. Now, I don't know where you've learned what you know about prayer from, TV, um, culture, church, perhaps, but we all kind of have a similar idea of what prayer does look like and, and how you participate in prayer. There's, of course, the posture of prayer that many of us, most of us, were familiar with at least observing at some point, and that's the, the folded hands and the, and, and the bowed head, or maybe knees on the ground kneeling. Okay. You may be familiar with, with reciting, or hearing someone do so, reciting um, eloquent words that sound beautiful and, and quite spiritual. Maybe you've heard a pastor pray, uh, your priest pray, or maybe your grandparents pray. I mean, and we, and we know that there's things like you can ask God to, to give you things in prayer. We're aware of that. You can ask God for stuff. You, you can also thank him for things in prayer. And, and maybe you're familiar of hearing someone do that. I remember um, in third grade, I don't know how I remember this. Um, third grade, my music teacher in third grade music class taught uh, the kids at my, my class this, this prayer. And it goes something like this. And I went to a public school, by the way, but you're going to hear that in a minute, Okay. I said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, pretty morbid for third graders, but <laughs> and then he throws out this line. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my toys to break so none of the other little boys and girls could ever play with them ever again, amen. <laughs> That's what he taught us. So that was probably my first like memorized prayer. And, and God is good, all right, God's good. 
they all broke. But what are you really doing when you pray? I mean, what are you really accomplishing? I want to read uh, for you what Jesus said on that hillside that day about prayer. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 6. I encourage you to turn there with me. If you have a Bible, a Bible app there with you, we have free Bibles at the hub. I encourage you to grab one on your way out. We just want to give that to you. But I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Listen to what it says starting in verse 5. This is Jesus. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Forgive, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay, there's a ton in there about prayer. And we're only gonna deal with a little bit of it today, so I apologize in advance for your disappointment, all right? But here's what we're really gonna focus on, is what does God see from your prayers? What does he see in you? See, we have a tendency in the American church, and it typically, it's really in Western cultures, but we'll, we'll say America since that's where we are, to, to have very segregated lives. Okay, we have our, our spiritual life, our sacred stuff, and sacred, that word just means to be anything dedicated to God, all right? So we have our sacred spiritual Sunday morning lives where we do practices much like we're doing in this room together today. And then we have all our, our secular life, that is the non-sacred, the non-religious everyday life and stuff that we do. So we have our church work that we perform, and then we have our work work that we do. Um, some of us have our church friends, people that we give a hug to or maybe we're in a Bible study with, but then we have the, our, our other friends that maybe we socialize with and go out to dinner with and hang out with, right? We have our Sunday practices, get up, come to church, do the things in the room here that we do, and then we have our, our sports practices. We have practices at home. We have our church work, and many of you serve in many ministries, um, preparing coffee or, 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 or teaching our, our kids, right? We, we have our church work, but then we have our, our homework and our yard work, and, 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 and that's over here, right? We have our religious boxes to check, which we're doing today. We've got some, all right? It's, it's okay, it's okay. And we have our other stuff that we have to check too, starting tomorrow morning, early. It's like when you run into your pastor at Meyer. Yeah, don't worry, I avoid you too, okay? <laughs> okay, I have to admit, sometimes I'm in a hurry, okay? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I think that person from church goes down this aisle here, you know? I'm, I'm, being, I'm just being honest with you. So if I run into you, you'll never know, does he wanna talk to me or is this just awkward? I know it's awkward, isn't it? 
when you, run into, when you run into me at Planet Fitness, it's like, I don't know that I can talk to him. He's wearing a sleeveless shirt. Pastors don't do that. All right? It's awkward because it mixes worlds, doesn't it? It just mixes stuff, and it's like, I can't do this in my head, right? During, during our, uh, the, the lockdown from COVID-19, you might remember that some of us found ourselves churching from our couches. We were singing or hearing songs that belonged at church. We were like bowing our heads for prayer at a kitchen table with a laptop open, right? We were even taking communion as a family sitting in, in, in the kitchen. And we were doing these like sacred, dedicated things. We were doing them in our living rooms and it was weird. It's like two worlds were colliding. They were blending together. And for many of us for the first time, and we didn't know what to do about it, did we? Now, this wasn't necessarily the case for the audience that Jesus is teaching on the hillside that day. That first century Jewish audience is not necessarily the case. All right? The great majority of Jewish people in Jesus' day held on to their Jewish faith and their practices and their heritage quite strongly. Okay? They prayed. They, regularly. They fasted. They went to local synagogue. They traveled to Jerusalem several times a year for the religious feasts. And they taught their children to do the same things. All right? This was the, the Jewish hope, first century Jewish hope, the faith and their faith practices hinged on their past. Okay? It was actually undergirded by their past. They, had, they could look back in the stories and see what God had done, and it propelled them into the future to look forward to a time when God was going to restore Israel. He was going to come for one, he was going to come back, one final victory, one final liberation. Everything in the Jewish faith and their practices hinged on a future hope. You see, Jesus came then on that hillside that day and started to turn things. For the first time, he said, there is no more sacred domain where, where over here things are only lifted and dedicated to God, and then ever he, over here is everything else in your life. They were going to collide and blend together. See, Jesus' teaching on that hillside that day was that there is a new era and th there was a new era for prayer specifically. And that is this, Jesus is saying, listen, your hope is not in your future anymore. God's kingdom isn't something that's coming. It's here now. The liberation has started and has begun now. It's here and it's happening. It's blending of two worlds into one new kingdom of God reality. And your participation in it is essential. In Luke's retelling of this teaching that Jesus does, it says that the disciples, Jesus' disciples had witnessed him praying before, and they come to him, all right? And they say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? There was something about the quality and quantity of Jesus' prayer life. Now, listen, these are 16, 17, 18-year-old, 19-year-old young men, Jewish men, they've been praying with their fathers and mothers all of their lives. And yet something about the quality and quantity and, 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 and the content of Jesus' prayers rocked their world. And they said, could you teach us to do the same thing? And then he did. What is it that they needed to know? This is a question you should be asking yourself. What is it that they needed to know? 
in order to, to have a more blended prayer life that drew them out of synagogue and temple only. And so prayer would infiltrate their entire being, their entire life, and usher them immediately into this new kingdom that Jesus had said had finally arrived here and now. What is it that they needed to know about prayer to experience that? Here's the first thing, is prayer is deeply personal and holy. Now, 10 times in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, 10 times Jesus calls God. Did you catch it? Do you know what the, what the title was? Father. 10 times. Jesus is not just hinting at something. He's establishing something critical. That there is a connection we have with our heavenly Father that is intimate and personal. Intimate and personal. Now, the Jewish people believed that there was one God, one God, right? And, and he cared deeply for them. Unlike the, the pantheon of the gods in the Greek and Roman pantheon at the time, the, um, no, 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 God Yahweh, the, 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 the God, creator God, was, was deeply personal. He cared about his people. He was involved in their lives, all right? Yahweh cared and he moved in them. And so the Jewish audience that heard Jesus' words this day believed in a God who cared very personally for his people. Okay? Cared very personally. Now, their Old Testament scriptures for a sprinkling a, a, a bit actually does refer in the Old Testament Jewish scriptures refer to God as father. However, a good Jewish young man or a good Jewish young woman, your typical Jew, Jew at, at this time, would approach God with a, with a reverence. And though he was personal, he was only accessible at the synagogue or at temple or in the practices that the family would gather several times a year to do. And Jesus turns that on his head. Suddenly, according to Jesus... He's accessible all the time. He's accessible all the time. That he's interested, did you know this, that, that, that your father in heaven is interested in your every thought, your every action, your every emotion. He cares about your mental health. He cares about your body. He's interested in what you think about when you wake up. He cares deeply about what is going through your mind and heart when you go to bed at night. He wants to approach you and, and strike up conversation with you. He seeks you out. You are his son and you are his daughter and he is madly in love with you. He's your dad in heaven. He's your friend. He's your king. He's in and through every moment of your life. He's not too casual but he's not too formal either. And I think one of the problems sometimes we have in faith is that we've treated him as both. It's very simple to jump in the car when I'm running late to get to the office and toss out a quick prayer. Hey God, thanks for this day. Would you do this, 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 and this? Thanks God, you're awesome, amen. Very easy to do. God hears those kinds of prayers all the time, doesn't he? For, for others, it's very easy to do something else. Well, to, for God to actually hear me, I've got to fold my hands. 
and I've got to bow my head, and, and it's got to be at dinner time, and it's got to be solemn and reverent, and maybe, maybe I have to kneel, and, and that's how I approach God. And that's really the only way that I can really approach God and feel comfortable. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, says this. I love this. He says, prayer catapults us into the frontier of spiritual life. It ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Catapults into, into this beautiful communion on the frontier of spiritual life. When Jesus prays to God, often in the New Testament, in Aramaic, which is a, a version of Hebrew, he, he will call God Abba, which can be some places and translated as a very informal title for father. Something similar to how we might say daddy or papa. And so Jesus's word for God, papa, just, just resonates with this, with this intimacy. And yet at the same time, papa, had, it, it, it just reeks of this, but, but you're my daddy, you're my papa, and yet I submit to you as king of my life. Your prayer is essential. And the first thing the disciples needed to walk away with, the audience from the hillside that day, they needed to know about prayer, was this time that you start relating to your heavenly father for who he is and not who you were raised to think he is or how you thought you experienced him because that may not be 100% accurate. So can you say the next time that you pray, you're my papa, you're my king, and you are here. Here's the second thing. Prayer transforms us. Prayer transforms us. Now, at the opening of, of, of Jesus' teaching on that model prayer, he, he says, Father, your will be done here on earth, even as it's unfolding in heaven right now. See, what Jesus is teaching his disciples is that prayer transforms things immediately. Immediate, prayer actually transforms things now. You see, the Jewish faith, their hope, remember that, that the hope of a restored future was the, was the driving force of the Jewish faith. And in their faith, they believed that in this life, that it was their job to stay pure. There was the rituals and the prayers and the feasts and the practices, all in order to stay pure and holy and righteous so that when God's kingdom finally came sometime in the future, Israel would be found ready. That was the whole point of the practice, that they would be prepared for the future renewal of all things. But Jesus claimed in this pray, teacher on prayer right here, right here on this hillside this day, that prayer actively begins to transform your mind and your heart and your body now. It changes things, it transforms things in you. Can you imagine this? If prayer only made you feel better but didn't actually change anything? I know that some of us here, or some of us listening online, that's actually what you really believe. Can you imagine if prayer made you feel better, but didn't actually change anything? It would be 
like uh, the little kid, the child who, who's afraid of the monster under his bed and the parent comes into the room and, and gives him his teddy bear and, and he snuggles the teddy bear and that fear kind of melts away. And then the parent kind of proudly goes back into their bedroom and lays down feeling pretty good about themselves because that teddy bear has made that child feel better. It's like about the monster, like the monster's not there anymore, but, but it is. Because later in life, that monster gets exchanged for financial stress, anxiety, fear, resentment for the person laying in the bed next to you, guilt and shame. But Jesus said that prayer transforms things. It brings all that God has going on in heaven and it ushers that kingdom down into your life right now and it changes things. Namely, it changes you. Prayer transforms you. And I love the way that Richard Foster says this. He says, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. James chapter four, verse three, James says to the readers of his letter there, he says, when you ask in prayer and you don't receive, you're not receiving because you're asking with the wrong motives. You're asking incorrectly. So what Jesus is saying is, do you wanna learn church, White Oak? Do you wanna learn how to pray rightly? Do you wanna learn to pray correctly? Here's what James says and here's, and here's how it works for us, okay? The problem is, when you and I pray, we often pray in order to transform God, don't we? I mean, come on. When we pray, we often want to transform God so that he will do our will and our desires. And James says, no, 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 no. If you want to be changed by prayer, to rightly ask God, your father, your dad in heaven in prayer, it involves transformed passions that you begin to think God's thoughts after him. You begin to love the things that God loves. You begin to want the things that God wants. You begin to be concerned about the things that God's concerned about. Your heart begins to break for the things that breaks God's heart. What you want more in prayer than anything else is a transformed passion in your own heart that eventually you will the things that God himself wills. Finally, prayer connects us with God's saving work. Now, um, Jesus' audience believed, this is, this is the hope, right, of the, of the first century Jews. They believed that God, actually, there was a thought that God would send two messiahs, so to speak. One would be a physical king, the other one would be a spiritual savior. And that they, or he, the messiah king, would restore all Israel had coming to her, all they used to have long ago. They would drive out the Roman oppressors and liberate the nation, that Israel would be a nation again. And yes, a, a central part of what Israel believed, and Jews would have believed it in the first century, is that they were the conduit, the Jewish people were the conduit for the entire non-Jewish world to be renewed and made right before God. And, and widely speaking, they knew they were the conduit. 
Practically speaking, however, the Jewish people knew that they needed, as a people, to stay pure and holy so that they would be ready when God's kingdom finally came. And to be perfectly honest with you, to hell with everybody else. And then Jesus comes in at the very end of his teaching on prayer with a very unlikely verse. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So Jesus is saying is, listen, when you pray, you, you're, you're, being, you're being transformed, right? And your heart is aligning to God's heart. And God's heart desperately desires connectivity for everyone. So that's your heart too. Here's what Jesus says in verse 14 and 15. If you really kind of want to break this down to very practical ways, don't ask God for something that you're not willing to offer to someone else. Sky Jathani in his book, With, he says this, to pray is to ask questions to uncover the hidden movements of God all around you that might otherwise go unnoticed. So let me ask you this, church. Who around you needs encouraged? Who needs your healing words? Who needs your forgiveness? Who needs your generosity? Who needs your compassion? Listen to me. People are not our enemies. Satan is our enemy. So pray like that. Richard Foster in his book also talks about these flash prayers. He talks about how you and I could sit in a coffee shop or, or um, in, in our cubicle at work or walk through the halls at school and, 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 simply, and simply just pray a prayer over everybody you come in contact with, every person you notice, he says something like this. Picture Jesus walking through the halls at your school. Picture him walking through the coffee shop. Picture him do this. And gently, he rests a hand on each shoulder of every man and every woman that you notice. And he just, said, he just dips down and he whispers into their ear, I love you. And nothing would bring me greater delight than to forgive you and give you many good things. There are so many qualities in you that are ripe to bud that I will unfold if you'll say yes. I want to rule your life and forgive you if you would only let me. You see, in prayer, you and I are mysteriously working with God together with our Father to bring other people to full life in Jesus. Your prayer is essential. And as we wrap up today, it's really probably pretty important to say, okay, after all of this, it's essential for what? Essential for what? for your heart to be connected to the cross.
Because let me tell you this, Jesus, Jesus' father, his Abba, his Papa, turned his back on him. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he became sin. He didn't just take your sin on himself. He became sin, tarnished and dirty, so much so that his father turned his face away from the son so that you could turn your face towards your father that you could know the love and the, and the passion and the forgiveness of a good dad in heaven who's crazy about you. He was abandoned by his father so that you could know him personally. Jesus on the cross gave up a throne in heaven to be mocked and spit on and beaten and nails driven through his hands so that he could sit on the throne of your heart, your king, your papa forever. So when Paul tells the Thessalonians in the New Testament in chapter five of that book, he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What does that look like? Prayer connects you to God. Prayer is being with God to continuously pray in life and in speech and in body is receiving God, receiving God's loving gaze on you and you looking back at him, looking back at you and enjoying your king who's your friend and your dad. When we play, uh, sing a song here in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you, there'll be some people down here who will pray with you. If you wanna receive Jesus into your life through baptism, uh, we're gonna be doing that next week and invite you to come and talk to somebody about that. If we could be praying for you about anything, we will, with you, go to our Papa, our King, and we will on your behalf intercede with him and ask for his will to flood into your life. And you can also come forward for prayer. Would you pray with me? Jesus, Spirit, Abba, you are good. And we love you. Forgive us when we don't love you. Forgive us for a prayer life that's confused and has been misdirected. And, and, and now I know that, God, you're okay. You're okay with that because, Father, you're teaching us. You're patient with your kids, and I'm thankful for your patience and your grace and your mercy. Teach us to pray, Father. Teach us to pray that we can hear and now every moment, Father, have our hearts shaped toward the cross so that we can be part of your kingdom work now, right now. Fill us. In the name of Jesus, amen.